People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. Well, Stephen, today we're going to be talking about caregivers, um, what they can do to take care of themselves, understand a little bit about what they're going through when they have to deal with us. So isn't that exciting? That's so exciting. I love caregivers. <laughs> you know, I always wonder, you know, caregivers, caretakers, what is the difference? Because I don't know which one to say, caregivers, caretakers. Well, I think caretakers get paid. I think caregivers do it for free. I don't know. I don't, they take I, the money. Take the money exactly. and run. Caregivers give give care, but they don't take anything. Caretakers you know, care for you, but issues. they take something a lot of issues with this because i know my my wife is i wouldn't say a caregiver she's a taker i know that now am <laughs> I, I i know she's gotta be nice caregiver because you know i do the home dialysis and she helps stick me oh she does stick me and uh she loves that that's her favorite part especially when <laughs> i scream and uh, she just tells me shut up stop acting like a baby and it hurts you know because we use the dull needles mm-hmm. um you I do just the buttonhole correct the buttonhole dull mm-hmm. needles buttonhole i just tell her not to use the rusty needles you know she wants to save money that way <laughs> so but yeah when we come back we're going to have not only a caregiver, but also a dialysis social worker. A licensed clinical social worker. Yes, Lydia and Kay will uh, be back with us to share their experience with us. Although I didn't check her license, you know. I don't know. She could be trying to pull a fast one on us. What's the secret ingredient for delicious yet healthier meals? Why, Mrs. Dad's seasoning blends, of course. The 12 varieties of Mrs. Dash are all made up with a unique blend of 14 natural herbs and spices to make side dishes snap, potato pop, and dinner dates unbelievable. And since Mrs. Dash has always been salt-free with no MSG, you can create great-tasting meals full of only one thing, mouth-watering flavor. Here's an easy-to-make, healthy recipe idea. Coat some boneless chicken breast in a mixture of Parmesan cheese, breadcrumbs, and Mrs. Dash original blend. Saute in extra virgin olive oil until done. Then give a small squeeze of fresh lemon juice and serve over your favorite pasta. Doesn't that sound good? Well, for more information, visit MrsDash.com. Mrs. Dash, salt-free, flavorful. This commercial was produced for Kidney Talk, a weekly show produced by Renal Support Network. Listen to Kidney Talk 24-7 at rsnhope.org. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm Well, 
welcome to the show. We have Lydia, who is a social worker. Now, Lydia, what is your last name? Weissman. Weissman. Nice Jewish girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And we have Kay, who's a, uh, who is a caregiver. Kay, and what is your last name, Kay? Gaden, and it's not Jewish. Um, how long have you been married? We've been married 11 years, and I've known him probably about 50. Oh, 50, 50 years. years. It took you that long of an engagement to get married? No, we were both married in the past, and we lost our spouses. Oh, so it's a second marriage for both mm-hmm. of you. Oh, how wonderful. So you can find love again. Very, very well. Oh, great, great. Now, we're here to talk about caregiving to a kidney patient. We always talk to the patient and, you know, what their feelings are like and, and, and you know, how they're feeling, how they're getting through. But we want to talk to somebody who actually takes care of a patient. And you're the one. Yeah, so what do you do? Do you help him with the meals? Yeah, the renal diet can be complicated. I find it very complicated. And when I started out, it was overwhelming because there were so many things that you couldn't eat. And it's, we were told it was critical that you keep your levels right. And so I read cans and I weighed and I measured and, and it was really a very difficult thing. But like everything else, when you start paying attention and start doing it over and over again, it gets a little easier. Now, was Omar really into this, too? Was he wanting to follow the diet, or were you having to push him Yeah, a is he bit? a reluctant patient? Like Stephen? <laughs> he wants to follow the diet, except when the cheese is on the table or, or something else there that he would like to eat. Then you know, that's, that's my biggest way. I love cheese, and I like nuts. Uh-huh. And those are two no-nos for kidney patients, and those are the two things that I love the most, especially the cheese with the nuts around it. I love that. Yeah. Did you know that uh, they're making a special cheese for dialysis patient, but it's kind of... Dairy delicious. Dairy delicious. Yes. Yes, We do a commercial for them. We have some at home. And do you like it? I like other cheese better, but for a substitute, it's very good. Not bad. Great sponsor we have, Dairy Delicious. And we (laughs) use their milk. Uh, Their milk, yes, Uh yes. Well, Lydia, one of the things I know, you, you've been a social worker for over eight years working with dialysis patients. What are some of the issues that you know come up that you have to deal with? Well, what I tend to tell new patients and their family members is that it's, it's a hard situation for each of them. Nobody asked to be in this role. Nobody had, most people don't have any role models or experience in this. And suddenly they're confronted with illness or, and or caregiving. And uh, it's, it's, they're both hard roles, and I try to tell families it's hard for each of you, just in a different way, and to recognize that you're on the same side. You know what happens, sometimes a patient can resent the healthier spouse, or the spouse mm-hmm. can resent being held back by a, a more fragile partner. And there's no point getting angry with each other. Uh, The renal diet can be a challenge. You know, it can become a source of arguing, don't eat this. No, don't tell me what to eat. I'm my own boss. Or, you know, then uh, the caregiver can come, quotes a policeman, which can affect the relationship. The point is that you're both on the same side. You're a family, a couple, whatever you were. All those years you continue to be, you just have something new to deal with on the other side of you the illness and struggling with that. And that should be kind of your common enemy and shouldn't uh, separate you. What it really comes down to is you have to learn how to communicate well because I think what happens in a relationship when one person is giving the caregiving and and then the patient is like roles change. And I know when I was a patient, I was sick, I needed help, but then at times, you know, I wasn't sick anymore, but people were still trying to help me. And I would get upset because I'm like, I want to do things myself. And then they were like, oh, don't overdo it. 
and they mean well, but I was frustrated because of the fact that they wouldn't let me do things. They were always saying, you're going to get sick if you do that. And I'm like, so what needs to happen is the communication has to start where, you know, when you say this to me, it makes me feel this way. Absolutely. Not everybody has those skills. Those are life skills. Most life skills you need in this situation, you know, uh, coping skills, adjusting, uh, attitude, positive uh, outlook, all those things that help you in other difficult situations like uh, marriage or losses or starting a new job or whatever, you, you need all of those skills plus some here. And the communication is basic. And what I often suggest caregivers say to the patients instead of doing for them all the time and hovering, saying, look, you know, I want to help you in any way I can. You tell me how I can best be of help to you. Mm-hmm. You know, you set the limits. You know yourself better than I or anybody else does. You tell us what you can do, what you want help with. And just because it's that way today, it doesn't mean it'll be that way a week from now or a month from now. You know, it changes, but we have to keep talking. Now, that's what I think, you know, I would love to tell my wife. You know, my wife is my, I would say, caregiver, although I'm pretty active. But she hel- I do the home dialysis, and she helps me. She actually sticks me uh-huh. with, the, with the needles and stuff. But, you know, I say, you know, let me control the machine as much right. as I can. Right. And she says, no, no, I don't want you to touch the buttons. I, you know... And so you have one mishap, you know, because my blood pressure gets low and I had a mishap with the blood pressure one time and then you're never trusted again, you know. So I know she loves me and cares for me, but I would like for her to give me more responsibility. And there's this kind of butting of the heads of who's right. And I, and I say, well, I know my own body. I, I'll know when my blood pressure is getting right. low. And she doesn't trust me anymore. But she doesn't trust me to fry an egg either. But, uh. Well, right. Whatever has been going on in the relationship all these years that we, I don't think we're going to get into on the radio show, <laughs> I tend, I, you know, I tend to think that it's coming out in the, um, you know, it's not easy being the one doing home hemo every night. Not easy for you, not easy for her. And you need a little bit of humor, patience, but basically good communication and, you know, you may want to suggest her, what do you suggest that we can do as a kind of a test? How can I show you that I can do this? What safeguards do you want to put in place while you let me do as, you know, a little more than I have been? So play well, with know, it that the way. The problem was, you know, I went to Portland, Oregon, and I'm on the list, uh, top of the list actually now for a transplant in Portland. And we, both my wife and I went up to Portland, Oregon, and the doctor says you're at the top of the list. He, he says, so, you know, pack a bag. Mm-hmm. and leave it by the door. And my wife says, I've been telling him that for a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, I think that's another show, oh, Stephen. Oh, that's a different show? Yeah, this is about oh. caregiving oh. and really, you know, nurturing each other. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, but yeah. this show is talking about caregiver issues. I'm sure that caregivers get angry with us. I'm sure Lorraine gets angry with you. Oh, absolutely. And I have it on tape, actually. <laughs> you do? Yeah, I is, have a secret Can you see it on YouTube? Yeah, <laughs> That's next. Okay, I have a question. Do you feel sometimes like there's a lack of appreciation from your husband? Honestly, yes, I do at times, but then there are other times when he shows his appreciation very much, and so therefore you just have to temper that with the other feelings and and pick and choose your times and and just keep on going. Yeah, I I know everybody has good days and bad days. I know I do too. You know, I also want to say that uh, Kane, her husband, are doing really well. But uh, Omar is quite independent. He drives and he travels, and mm-hmm. they have a full, rich life with many friends, a huge support system. Um, so in some ways, Kay may not be a prime example of what people imagine 
as a caregiver, but you have to know that it's on a spectrum. Um, you know, health kind of goes up and down, and the partner, the caregiver, is there for the ride, whatever is going to come. And you never know what tomorrow is going right. to bring and, and what condition it, your both of your lives are going to be because, as you pointed out one time, this isn't his disease. This is our disease. It is right. a family disease. Yeah, you're, like, married to it. I know one of the things that when you know, caregivers deal with is that they deal with their own depression because I know I would see that in my own family. When I was sick, they felt so helpless, like they couldn't do anything for me. They couldn't do right. anything for the person they loved. You know, loved. that's true because I know that when my kids, when they were younger, if one of them had, you know, a little 3-year-old and he has a fever and you're putting him in a cold bath and he's screaming, it's just, I remember just thinking, oh, my God, I wish there was something I could do mm-hmm. to help right. him. Right, you know, there's expression that, uh, like for parents, you're only as happy as your least happy child. Right. So certainly in in a marriage, any family, you know, if one finger hurts on your hand, the whole hand aches. You know, you can't ignore it. You know, that's why we certainly try to work with the whole family, but particularly when a spouse becomes a caregiver and the roles shift. Kay, you you tell me, I, I outlined a few ideas coming here, and you tell me what strikes closest to home. Overtired and overwhelmed, constantly anxious, angry, isolated, depressed. All of the above? (laughs) I suppose angry at times Mm -hmm. because because what we were saying, we're helpless or because you're you're trying your best to do everything you can do for your your partner and it's not enough or it's not right or it's his bad day and there's nothing you can do to make it right. You can't solve the problem for the one you love. I mean, really. And this is not what you bargained for, too. No. No. You know, you, you, this is not, when you got married 11 years ago, you never thought this you would be and, in this situation. And the thing is, is you're not angry at him. You're angry at the situation. I think that there's a difference. You're angry yeah. at the cards that life has dealt you. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just have to accept life and, and carry on. But there is, there's these feelings you go through, the shock, denial, fear, anger, depression, mm-hmm. grief, and then finally, okay, I understand this is my life. And those are the emotions that you have to go through. Unfortunately, they're all uncomfortable, but I think talking about it and having a support system is the but, key. You know, for, I don't know if this is the case for Kay, but I know for many caregivers, the anger is sometimes not just released at the patient because they're the ones who are there and they're the focus, but sometimes the anger is at other family members for not pitching in mm-hmm. because it's overwhelming when one carries the burden and the feeling where, where, where the kids or where are his siblings? Why, why aren't they relieving me? That you know, uh, sometimes at society for not understanding mm-hmm. uh, what what an important and meaningful job. Sometimes at the medical system that they're working with, that they haven't explained directions enough, or get angry with the caregiver if the patient had a bad episode as though it was their fault. It's horribly demeaning. You try so hard. It's beyond the ability, obviously, of the caregiver to make the person well. You're just trying to maintain, um, and there's no appreciation for this. And there's no space to take care of yourself in in that situation either. Right. So when we come back, we're going to get really angry because we're mad (laughs) as hell, and we're not going to take it anymore. No, we're going to learn about some tips. Oh, some tips. Tips of how to, you know. tips. (laughs) <laughs> Not money. Oh. We're going to learn about some tips about, you know, coping as a caregiver and how you can be as healthy as you can be and have a good outlook so that you can be better prepared to help the person you love. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to get some tips. Remember, that's at least 15%. Postman, here you go. Hmm. I won the million-dollar giveaway sweepstakes. Oh, I finally got my tax refund check. Oh, my God. I, I can't believe this. 
I got my order of Dairy Delicious! Oh boy, milkshakes, creamy soup, cereal with milk, and pudding! <laughs> Why is Mr. Smith so excited about his Dairy Delicious? I have a hint. You see, Mr. Smith is on dialysis, and Dairy Delicious is real milk especially created for kidney patients. It has half the potassium and half the phosphorus of regular 2% milk, but it has 100% of the flavor. Perfect for people who love dairy products and need to keep their lab values normal and dietitians happy. And most of all, it's delicious. Thousands who have tried Dairy Delicious sing its praises. See what I mean? To order your own Dairy Delicious and possibly get as excited as Mr. Smith here, call 1-877-4-DAIRY-7. That's 1-877-432-4797. Or visit DairyDelicious.com. Dairy healthy, dairy good, dairy delicious. <coughs> the milk that's made for you. This commercial was produced for Kidney Talk, a weekly show produced by Renal Support Network. Listen to Kidney Talk 24-7 at rsnhope.org. And now it's time to Ask the Nephrologist. Why is heart disease the main cause why kidney patients end up dying? And here's Dr. Alan Nissenson with the answer. Heart disease has proven to be a real point of controversy in patients with kidney disease. First of all, it's worth pointing out that of all patients who start on dialysis, about 45% of diabetes, which is a diffuse vascular disease, including the blood vessels of the heart, and about another 25% have high blood pressure as a cause of kidney failure. High blood pressure also affects all the blood vessels in the heart. So there are two underlying conditions, diabetes and high blood pressure, along with kidney failure, that affect the heart independently. So it sort of intuitively makes sense that the heart would be very vulnerable in people who have kidney problems. But if you look at patients with just kidney disease, no diabetes, no high blood pressure, there's still an enormous increase in the amount of heart disease compared to someone of the same age and gender but without kidney disease. So why is that? And again, this is an area of very active research. and. What's really motivated the researchers is some recent data that suggests that if you have kidney function that's about half normal, so you have sort of early chronic kidney disease, and then you look ahead five years and say, what's going to happen in the next five years? And most people say, well, there'll be slow deterioration of kidney function, and maybe in the next five to ten years I'll be on dialysis. Well, it turns out that if you start out with about half kidney function, then look five years into the future, you have about a 25 times chance of dying of heart disease of ever ending up on dialysis. It's an enormous increase in the incidence of cardiac disease. We know that there are some factors that contribute to this. The usual suspects contribute, so people who smoke, people who are obese, high blood cholesterol, those are kind of the normal things that would affect anybody even without kidney disease. They're also important in people with kidney disease. But the special things that occur in kidney patients are unusual types of high blood pressure, anemia, which tends to occur early in chronic kidney disease and is not treated well because 
the red blood cells carry oxygen to all the organs. As soon as you start becoming a little bit anemic, your heart starts pumping a lot harder, trying to get more red blood cells out to the organs, more oxygen out to the tissues. And the heart is like any other muscle. It beats hard and it beats hard and it works hard. And the result is what would be good if you were doing you know, weightlifting, but isn't good if you're a heart, which is the heart starts to enlarge and the muscle starts to get thicker. And at some point, rather than getting stronger, it gets thick enough so that it starts malfunctioning and you develop heart failure. So anemia is an important contributor to that. There are probably other toxins that are not removed by diseased kidneys and not removed by dialysis that are directly uh, affecting heart function that we're not yet fully aware of exactly what they are. Uh, so all of these things contribute. But this is, again, probably the major focus of research in the field of early kidney disease. There's a very large NIH study ongoing right now to try and understand this better. And I think if we can make some progress here, the key is, let's say we put all patients with early kidney failure on ACE inhibitors and slow the progression of kidney disease. What we don't want to see happen is that then we're just going to have more people dying of heart attacks and strokes. You know, that wouldn't get us anywhere. The idea is we've got to slow the progression, decrease the number of people getting to dialysis, but also keep those people alive. And the way to keep them alive is to better understand this cardiac problem. And hopefully in the next five to 10 years, we'll have a lot more information about this. The Asin Nephrologist segment of this program is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition. The Renal Support Network and the Renal Physicians Association make no representations or warranties and provide no guarantees of any kind as to the accuracy of any information provided during the Asin Nephrologist segment. I sold my soul You bought it held me up and gave me dignity somehow you needed me you gave me strength to stand alone again to face the well, Stephen just got back from ordering flowers for his wife. He's feeling very guilty. Feeling very guilty. <laughs> it's actually, I ordered ragweed. Ragweed? Yeah, because it makes her sneeze and gets her out of the house. <laughs> but you know, so I, I want to say, you know, there is a big thing with my wife and I because she, you know, I, I, I want to do more, you know, and she won't let me. And it's just the opposite. You know, I, I, I feel like she wants to treat me like an invalid and it gets me angry. Mm -hmm. So that's where my anger comes from. Right. Well, and you need to say that very clearly, how frustrating that is for you. Yeah, and but you've never talked to my wife. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like talking to a wall. you got to pick the time where, where there's a special time where it'll fit. And then until you find you that You know what time. I found the best time to talk to her? It's when she's sleeping because she doesn't argue <laughs> back. 
Stephen's such a wonderful <laughs> communicator, as we all can tell. But this show is about the caregiver, not about you. Oh, this is true. <laughs> it's not about me. Oh, my gosh. So, Lydia, can you give us some tips about, you know, how caregivers can right. uh, uh, um, really cope and some ways that they can take care of themselves? Absolutely, because unless you take care of yourself, you're in no position to take care of anybody else. Uh, an example I always use is on airplanes. Um, you're instructed when you're flying with a child in case of a, an emergency, uh, you must put the airbag on yourself before, uh, you know, the breathing thing. Before you put it on the child. Before you put on the child. And it seems like that's not right. My child is so small and so vulnerable, and i got to take care of him first. But the fact is, if you're out of control, if you lose it, you're in no position to take care of anybody else. And, you know, keep that image as a caregiver that uh, you're not being selfish by taking care of yourself as a responsibility. So clearly that's number one is take care of yourself. You deserve it, you're a person, you'll be in better spirits and everybody will benefit from it. Uh, the second important tip is share your feelings. That's uh, hard to do, it really is. Well it's easy for Stephen. I don't know about his wife. My heart on my sleeve. <laughs> right, right. He, he's a talker, a share or whatever. But many, many people um, have trouble doing that. And as a caregiver, you need some outlets, not only with the patient to talk so that you're on the same page and you're a team together, but to other people. You need an outlet. Uh, you need a support group. You need mm -hmm. friends. You need relatives. Don't lose your old contacts. You need them more than if, if you've put in, invested mm -hmm. in relationships over the year, this is a chance, this is a time to take a dividend back. And um, you need to call some friends up and have lunch, or, or you know, sometimes even at a dialysis unit, you may meet other spouses that are there, well, and maybe that's a way a, to... We, you have a support group, exactly. right? Exactly. I started a spouse support group, partly because, Kay, I think, Kay, were you one of the ones who'd asked for it? I asked, but, yeah, yeah. And there were a couple of women, once I heard it from two people, I thought, yep, we need this, and we have a, a strong a core of women who come. Um, it so happens that we're all wives, uh, and the you know patients are the husbands. I'm so touched when one woman, for instance, last time was having a hard time this past month with her husband. Some medical crisis came up. When the other women just you know held her hand, and there was a real linkage because in a support group like that with common problems, although everyone is has their unique situations, clearly there's an understanding. Right. You say a couple words, you say, you know, he clotted and couldn't get yep. dialysis, and we spent 12 hours, you know, at the hospital. Well, everybody knows exactly. Right. They what share that their means. experience, strength, and hope. What's really interesting to me is why there's always women that come to the support groups more than men. Um, do you think that it's because just society well, is women, you also, know, just like to get together well, and the, communicate the, and men? At the support groups, they also sell Tupperware, that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always found with a lot of men, you know, you can pay them by the word. They, you know, and you pay women by the pounds you know, of their words. I, I confess that it was a choice that I made because when I looked at our patient list and who the spouses were, um, they were... You didn't were, like them. No, there were one. There was like one in particular, possibly two spouses that I thought possibly could come, but not enough. You know, basically, if the husbands are around, they're not going to talk, mm -hmm. and uh, th there's just no point. I, I'd rather give a service. Uh, that's a whole other issue to try to reeducate men and reframe mm -hmm. their uh, the way they cope. But I want to give something to those who are ready to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And it seemed to be a wonderful core of women. 
And it does make a difference. You can see from those of us that are there that it does make a difference to be Oh, I love group there. therapy. I like any kind of therapy. Well, I have one husband who stopped in my office and, and said to me, thanks, my wife is so much nicer to me since she's been coming to the group. <laughs> <laughs> so that, well, that to me was the best. <laughs> well, I think a lot of times people just need to be heard. And having a, a support group allows people to put their pain out there. And then it has a place where it feels like it's getting healed, and so they don't need to carry it with inside them anymore. Absolutely. And, and even there's permission in the group. You can say, you know, I'm just, you know, really angry, or mm-hmm. women have used more colorful language as well in the group. <laughs> and it's okay. We know that doesn't mean they're beating them. If you say right. this to the outside world, you're taking care of your husband, and, you know, you're really angry with him right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't sound so nice out there. Right. Uh, where we have an image of this kind, caring, loving, you know, right. 24-7. And the person who's on dialysis. And, right. You know, and how but, can you be so mean there? I mean, I know that I was difficult on many times. Um, when I had, Tell my, me about it. <laughs> when I had both of my knees replaced like a couple of years ago, somebody who's very independent to literally, I can't move for a month. Yeah, but, you know, to ask your husband to carry you piggyback everywhere was just outrageous. <laughs> I, well, it was a new kind of challenge for me because mm-hmm. I've always been had illness, but I've always been mobile. You know, once I had both of my knees replaced at once, I literally could not walk without assistance for almost six weeks. It was so frustrating. That can get you depressed too, actually. It was Absolutely. very depressing. And I was I was angry because I like to, you know, I was angry at the world and I was in pain. And the only thing that kept me going was the Iron Chef. I would watch that at night and just focus on the food and just try to focus and get, you know, say, this too shall pass, this too shall pass, Mm -hmm. this too shall pass. And that's how I coped um, because it was so difficult. You talk about this. I'm a very, very positive person. But as soon as that we press that button on the machine and I'm in the chair and I know I'm there for the next two and a half hours and I got two blankets on me because for some reason dialysis makes me very cold. And I wear this stupid-looking hat to keep my head warm. <laughs> I, I look like, you know, an invalid person, and I get depressed for the, Well, not depressed, but I get less happy right. th- those three hours than I'm yeah, in the well, chair at night. Well, you're, you're in a patient role. You know, right. most of the other time I you're about move. doing your life. Right. right. You don't have control. Exactly. <laughs> and that between you and Lorraine seems to be an issue all by itself. Right. And the other thing that makes me angry, more about me now, um, <laughs> is with with caretakers at home and also in the unit, caretaker or technician is t- not tolerant of you as the patient. And so if you're complaining about the pain of being stuck, I say, oh, that one hurts or something like that. And they'd say, oh, stop being a baby. Or my wife, I'll jump when, when the hair pulls on my arm with the tape. And she says, I don't want you to jump unless it's something to do with the needle. Well, I can't help it. My body has these involuntary reactions. Right. And I don't think they understand. So I know Kay, being the caregiver, we're hearing your frustrations. But there's also more frustrations with the patient also. That I think we're getting both sides exactly. here. Exactly. Well, I think what it is, is it's, it's about communication. And the worst time to communicate is when you're angry. Mm-hmm. And I am guilty of this because, you know, I'll be angry or something. I feel like I'm out of control and I end up losing it. Then I feel guilty afterwards because I've said something or I've hurt the people I've loved because I'm frustrated. Well, you always hurt the people you love. Right. Those are the people you hurt most. I think what you tend to want to do when, you know, when you feel you're losing control or you're angry to say, you know, I can feel that I'm having trouble right now. You know, I'm angry. Maybe we better hold this until... 
But if know. people were only like that, that's not the real world. You know, that's in textbook. You know what's I, 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 train you, but you, you can train yourself. Uh, for instance, I, I, I think that even coming, tell me if I'm right, Kay, in the support group, where we hear about, you hear about some of the women dealing with different frustrating issues with their spouses or whatever. You learn a coping style, and then it starts becoming a little more natural. I know when I used to do parenting classes, it was the same thing. You have to learn new techniques, not just follow the old role right. models of just getting angry. Well, I think people communicate differently, too. I'm very vocal, and I always say exactly what's on my, you know, you know, I wear my heart on my sleeve, but a lot of people aren't. I know when I first was sick, you know, I got a lot of positive feedback because people always told me I was the good patient, even when somebody would stick me. Oh, wow, you don't cry. Oh, you know, and I'm like, oh, great, I get positive feedback, but I was dying inside. And so what happened was as I just stopped being able to connect my feelings to the moment that things were happening, and I would explode hours later. And what happened was is really reconnecting your voice to your feelings. And sometimes people would say things or do things to me, and I wouldn't say anything because it would get caught in my voice. Mm-hmm. And communicating is a skill. I think, you know, Stephen, you're a great communicator because you just say what you feel and you're done with. People may internalize it and take it differently and not be able to communicate that way. And the chances are they're not suddenly, because they're in a new situation, Mm -hmm. suddenly (laughs) do a 360, uh, suddenly feelings will come pouring out of their mouths in an articulate, uh, you know, fashion. Couples who were together when one is caregiving, they understand each other. I think a lot of the communication is often nonverbal as well. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you know when they're struggling. You know when they're down. Mm-hmm. A, a certain amount of communication is just nonverbal. It's mm-hmm. just by your actions. Don't look at me that way. I know. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> what did you mean by that? <laughs> um, now, Kay, um, do you feel uh, isolated sometimes and that nobody understands what you're going through other than the people at the support group, like your friends and family members? No, because I'm very vocal. You're very vocal. I, I have a tendency to talk, and I have friends that will listen when they, when it's needed, mm-hmm. and I think that that's important for me. Right. And what know. about the thing, you know, you say, well, I'm the, the main caregiver, and I, it's basically, it's like you're taking care of a child, because a, a lot of times it's like that. And what happens if I get sick? That's right. The caregiver right. gets can't. sick. What do you think about that, Kay? You can't get sick. You can't. Even if and you're what happens sick, if you, you have do? To, you have to keep going, unless you have somebody that you that will take over. And with everybody in their families are, are very busy and not necessarily close by, it makes it very difficult. Do you worry about that? Yes. Okay, what do you think is the, the number one, the biggest challenge you feel as a caregiver? Keeping things going at an even keel and, and doing everything right that needs to be done so that, that my husband can live as full a life as he wants to live and we want to live, not become overwhelmed, and, and maintaining our relationship, it's very difficult when all these things are pushed at you. And do you feel some satisfaction that you're doing a pretty darn good job? At times I do, yes. And that has to feel good, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm very grateful that I don't have more problems at this point mm-hmm. in my life than I do, because we all know tomorrow it can be completely right. different. Right. Well, I think that's something that's really important. You really have to be grateful for the moment. Yes because things change so dramatically and you think I know you think wow it can never get worse oh believe me it can get worse I know. well you know one of the next points is being positive Stephen oh well I, I have a market <laughs> on that I'm positive how, how does
is a, a caregiver. And it's hard. It's hard to be positive when exactly. your caregiver is not positive. But how do you stay? How does a caregiver stay positive when the patient's not positive? Yeah, I don't know. Um, different for everybody. Uh, people who are naturally positive have a much easier time mm-hmm. of it, and people who you know, for the last uh, 60 years of their life tended to be sort of kind of negative people. They're not suddenly going to uh, use positive feelings. But uh, you want to, first of all, you have to remind yourself that you're the caregiver and not a healer. So be realistic in, in your in your uh, demands of yourself and what can be done. And just as Kay, you know, get satisfaction from doing the mm-hmm. best job you can. And that feels good. And most of the women, for instance, in our group, I know, have a feeling that they've grown as people, mm-hmm. unfortunately, through adversity. But uh, a feeling of, you know, stepping up to the plate, and, and that feels good. You want to normalize your life. You want to continue doing things you enjoy doing. Have breaks from your partner as much as possible in that, you know, if That's you my have, wife's favorite part. Right. Well, <laughs> if you have a, a Mahjong game or a Bible study group or a... You know, uh, lunch with your sister once, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you want to normalize, get a break, uh, be positive with your husband, take advantage of nice weather. You can always enjoy, depending on, you know, whether it means wheeling him out onto the porch or j- driving together to the beach and walking, whatever he's able to do. It's different in every situation. But take advantage of, of the small things, enjoy a nice conversation. And say, that was really nice, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed that a lot, uh, listening to nice music. I think after hearing all this, if, if nothing's working, I mean, it's, it's not a bad idea to seek professional help. I mean, these are difficult issues if you can't work through them. Absolutely. That's number one. Everyone is entitled to, if things are not going well, to help, whether it's the patient and or the caregiver. If you feel you're just kind of sinking and things are looking kind of black, uh, you don't have to be there. It doesn't, quotes, go with the territory uh, that you need to be depressed. Yes, many patients, yes, many caregivers are depressed. It doesn't need to be that way. They don't, they may be, they won't be cheery, but they don't need to suffer. Depression can be very painful, and it leads to worse health. It's like a, like a quicksand. You just get sucked in, and it's awful. And everyone is entitled to get help with that, whether it's medication or someone to talk to. You know, one thing that when you're speaking that I I think about for the people listening out there is one tool that I've utilized is if there's a skill I don't have and I want it, I try to find another person that has that skill. And then I try to be around that person. Mm -hmm. And that really does summarize what the support group is. Mm -hmm. Because if you cannot cope with your family issues or support and you don't know how to communicate, a support group is a great avenue to Mm -hmm. learn from other people who are going exactly what you you are going through in real-life scenarios so you can learn how to cope in your own way. While you're absolutely right, Lori, the problem is that so many caregivers are too overwhelmed to go to a support group. Right. Because they may want and there to may not be to, one. Uh, there may, may not, not be, be one. one but yeah. even if there is one available, and I believe, I know when I started at uh, South Valley Dialysis eight years ago, I was shocked. You know, I came from a family agency where we had lots of groups going on. I believe in the magic of group therapy. But there were no patient support groups, mm-hmm. no family support find that support all the groups. time. And I was shocked. And I thought, oh, well, if I get this job, I'm going to make some changes around here. And, you know, I didn't. It was very humbling because what I came to learn 
was that patients don't want to be at the center not five minutes more than they need to because they feel they put in more than enough time there. Caregivers are overwhelmed, and if they have a couple of hours free, they want they want that time for themselves mm-hmm. and not more with dealing with patients or hearing other people's problems, right. which is how many people see a support group. So while it's of great value for many people, uh, it's a very, very small percentage. It's a time commitment. It's basically like, and I can give my advice to myself on this one, is that, you know, I don't want to go to the gym, but if I go to the gym and I put the time in it, I'll, um, you know, I'll have a good experience, I'll feel better, and I'll be more productive so that extra time that I'm spent at the gym or exercising will increase my ability to have a happier life. But I don't want to put the extra time in. Right. So it's the same analogy. It's like you have to work to have caregiver. a good life. But imagine for the caregiver who, on top of mm-hmm. that, never knows if some crisis is going to happen. Exactly. And throw everything off of the best plan. You know, the Renal Support Network creates this directory, and we try to p- put family members in it to offer support. And one of the things that is a support group can be picking up the phone mm-hmm. and talking to another right. person. It doesn't have to be right. a group where you're in a center. It can be just picking up the phone and saying, hi, Marge, can I talk to you? I just, I'm not feeling good about this. Can and, and just having that person on the other side listening can be the best medication in the entire world. Absolutely. You know, I have one last question for Kay before we have to wind up. And, you know, does your, representing the patient part of this conversation here, does your husband ever say to you that he does feel guilty about what he's putting you through and ever talks about his feelings about having to do this dialysis? Yes, he does. He at times will say, I feel so bad that I have to put you through. He actually does say that occasionally. He was a very active man. He can't do the things he used to do. And it's very hard on him. And I can see it, and he does express appreciation, which is really wonderful. Well, it makes you feel better, too. It does. And, it makes and, it worthwhile. Absolutely. Well, we've learned so much today. Yes. This is quite interesting. Well, thank you guys so much for coming in. Keep listening to Kidney Talk, and you'll we'll get some s- more tips. Will do. <laughs> if you'd like to receive information and materials regarding transplantation, join the Transplant Experience Program by calling 1-877-482-7627. When you enroll, you'll receive a free transplant information kit, including a resource journal and your own copy of this video, sharing the experience. The Transplant Experience Program provides information, tools, resources, and inspiration to patients at every stage of the transplant process, all free of charge. Call 877-482-7627 today and join Transplant Experience, sponsored by Estellas. Lean on me when you're not Wow, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, so are you going to go home and um, get oh, a massage for Lorraine and just tell her how much her you roses. appreciate her Absolutely. as a caregiver? 
I mean, there's there's so many emotions and and feelings that a caregiver goes through. And sometimes it's the patient like myself. You forget about it. You can be kind of a pain. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes the caregiver can forget about the pain and humiliation it is to be sitting in a chair with needles in your eye. And I think Lydia and Kay gave us some great information. And, you know, at the end of the day, we just got to show up, do the best we can and seek the help that we need to live a a long life. Right. And, and you, you know, you use those tools like the therapy and, you know, your other favorite tool, you know, in case you get depressed is the uh, bottle of Jack Daniels, right? We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Astellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.